Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I veckans avsnitt av Så in i själen har jag bjudit in Karina Nunstedt som är förläggare för min bok Så in i själen. Precis som jag så delar hon intresset för den inre resan. Vi ska också få träffa den brittiska författaren Catherine May vars bok Övervintring Karina ger ut och även har översatt och skrivit ett förord till. Övervintring handlar om vikten av vila och återhämtning i livets svåra stunder. Hur vi kan omfamna vintern, både mörkret inom oss men också bli bättre på att följa naturens gång och ta oss igenom de mörkaste perioderna av sorg och kris. Karina har egna erfarenheter av sorg och kris och hon kommer att dela med sig av det i början av det här samtalet. Och sedan kommer vi att bjuda in Catherine May som är med oss på länk. Elisabeth Gilbert säger så här om boken Övervintring. En lika vacker som helande bok. Boken har blivit en stor framgång i både England och USA. Nyligen kom den ut på svenska. Varmt välkomna ska ni vara till ett samtal med Karina Nunstedt och Catherine May. Så in i själen. Då säger jag först och främst varmt välkommen till Karina Nunstedt och snart ska vi också välkomna in Catherine May. Och det är hon som är författare av den här boken Övervintring som vi faktiskt ska prata lite grann om. Vad är övervintring och sådana här saker? Vad innebär det? Men det är ju alltså Karina Nunstedt som har översatt den här boken. Välkommen hit. Tack så jättemycket. Tack. Ja, jag ger ut den på mitt egna lilla förlag som jag startade för mm. företag sedan mm. och den, ja, den betyder väldigt mycket för mig. Och just ja, det, ja, men alltså övervintring, det är man inte så bekant med så där På engelska så heter den wintering. Mm. Är det ett vanligare begrepp där eller är det ett vanligt begrepp med övervintring som jag bara har missat? Ja, man pratar väl mer kanske om att övervintra mm. och att ligga i ide och så mm. tänker man på en björn eller en något djur, mm. hasselmöss skrivs de i boken som mm. övervintrar på ett väldigt smart, energisnålt sätt. Ja, de är lite uppe emellanåt också och rör ja. på sig. Så det är ett ord som finns, mm. det är det, men inte ett ord som man använder så ofta. Men jag tycker det är ett väldigt vackert ord. Ja, det är ett jättevackert ord och vi ska ju prata lite grann mer om vad det här innebär. Men, men först bara, Karina, det här är första boken du översätter överhuvudtaget, eller? Ja, mm. det är det. Och det var inte tänkt att jag skulle göra det. Det var ju tänkt att min man Anders skulle översätta. Mm. Vilket han har gjort tidigare översatt flera böcker. Mm. Också journalist. Han är journalist. Ja. Var, var journalist. Var journalist ja. mm. Musikjournalist på Expressen men översatte en del på fritiden. Som jag har ja, delat på olika sätt så gick min man bort i somras i cancer mm. i juni. Mm. Och redan innan dess så förstod jag att eh, 
den här planen med att han skulle översätta den här boken, det, det skulle ju inte hålla för han blev sämre och sämre. Så att jag, först så sköt jag upp utgivningen av boken, sköt upp liksom beslutet. Mm. Och sen mitt i all sorg och allting så gick jag och vondades bara, men gud jag måste hitta en översättare för att jag tycker om den här boken så mycket och den måste få komma ut. Jag ville inte att allt bara skulle skälpas mm. av det som hade hänt. Eh, ja. Och sen en dag så bara vaknade jag och kände, nej men jag ska översätta den själv. Därför att den här boken är som den är skriven till mig. Ja, du bara kände det så där starkt. Ja. ja, då var det ja, en liten själslig uppenbarelse. <laughs> nej, men, men så där kan det ju bli ibland, ja, att det är bara ja. något som starkt kommer till ja. Och då kände jag lust att göra det. Mm. Jag har ju skrivit och förlagt böcker. Jag har jobbat som journalist tidigare och chefredaktör och massa olika saker. Och du har ju en podd också tillsammans med Maria Borelius. Precis. Hälsorevolutionen. Precis. Ja. Så jag, jag jobbar ju med språket och med mm. orden på en massa olika sätt och skriver allt möjligt. Men översatt hade jag aldrig gjort. Och jag behärskar ju engelska bra, men det kändes ju ändå lite läskigt mm. först. Men hade du, då hade du läst manuset och sådär, mm. så att du kände någonstans att du när du vaknade upp och kände att Nej, men det här ska jag göra, mm. då var det någonting i boken som talade till dig. Vad var det? Ja, men precis. För att eftersom jag är förläggare och ger ut den här boken, så det är ju det första man gör. Läser den och mm. bedömer så här Ja, alltså en bok måste ju vara så otroligt bra för att man ska liksom vilja investera i den och mm. vilja satsa på den och tro på den. Det som talade till mig det var det vackra språket, det var hennes sätt att liksom fånga tidsandan mm. med hur vi på något sätt liksom snabbspolar livet många av oss och har ju väldigt väldigt svårt för att stanna upp och många idag mår inte bra, många går in i väggen och stressproblematiken har vi kämpat med att lösa hur länge som helst men mm. det verkar ändå inte bli så himla mycket bättre utan vi försöker hitta massa olika nya redskap hela tiden och det är precis det här som händer i boken i början så börjar det faktiskt med att Catherine Mays man blir sjuk mm. det är september och det är så här varmt och, och härligt och sonen fyller år tror jag, nu är jag lite osäker på men det är i alla fall en härlig familjetillställning och plötsligt så är mannen inte där utan han mår jättedåligt och ligger liksom dubbelvikt någonstans ja. mm. och han hamnar på sjukhus och blir så småningom bra men utan att berätta för mycket då sen blir i samma veva blir även Catherine May som då skriver den här boken Mm. självbiografiskt eh, bygger på hennes egna upplevelser hon börjar må jättedåligt och får superont i magen och de misstänker allt möjligt läskigt och eh, ja det leder till att hon först blir sjukskriven och sen eh, väljer att eh, lämna sitt eh, jobb som lärare på ett eh, universitet där hon mm. undervisar i kreativt skrivande så att det är liksom ja, hon råkar ut för en stor kris i livet kan man ju säga, vilket vi ju alla gör i någon ja. mån i olika faser mm. och där fångar hon just det här famlandet som kan bli när man mm. inte får fortsätta på den här inslagna vägen och vi sätter upp så mycket mål och vi vill nå hit och dit ja, <laughs> efter, ja, innan ja. det blir sommar innan ja. Det, ja, men så. och ofta kommer ju livet emellan ja vi har de där målen och så skyndar vi på mot mm. de där målen mm. men, men om man plötsligt då hamnar i en sån där kris där allting bara stannar upp alla vägar kanske försvinner eller det kanske blir för många vägar att välja på så att man blir oh. bara frustrerad och vilsen utifrån det oh. då är det ju saker man behöver ta hand om mm. och ta tag i mm. Mm. och ibland rusar man ju på att man liksom flyr med mm. olika medel det skriver hon också om i, i boken men hon tror då på att vi ska stanna upp liksom mm. och övervintra i oss själva genom den här krisen eller sorgen eller vad det nu är man går igenom. Mm. Och då har hon tagit fasta på hur många naturfolk till exempel i urminnestider har eh, varit bra på att konnekta mer med naturen. Mm. Och hitta liksom en långsammare lunk under vinterhalvåret. Att mm. inte rusa på i samma tempo. Nej, det ska bli spännande att prata med henne om just det där att eh, om vi har förlorat för mycket kontakt med både naturen och vår själ på mm. något vis mm. i det här moderna samhället mm. och det, det ska bli intressant att höra vad hon tänker om det mm. men jag känner också någonstans att vi kanske är på väg att 
nå tillbaka dit fast på ett annat sätt. Jag tror precis som du mm. att det är så mycket som händer, så många positiva tecken liksom. Mm. Din bok och, ja. din, och din podd <laughs> ja, tar upp må- många av de redskap som kan liksom hjälpa en i att connecta med sig själv. Mm. Och jag tror att väldigt många i alla fall förstår att det är ingenting man kan fly ifrån. Det skriver ju du i din bok, att man mm. kan inte fly från sin, från sin själ. Liksom. Och det blir tydligast kanske då när vi går igenom någonting väldigt jobbigt i livet då blir det liksom en wake up call. Ja, du skriver, jag har tagit ut några stycken ur förordet för jag tycker ditt förord är så fantastiskt vackert. Det Tack. du har fått Snälla. ja, så att jag hoppas att du skriver en egen bok snart Karina. Oh, ja. eh, kanske om sorg att ta kanske. sig igenom sorg, jag vet inte, men, mm. men några meningar som jag har plockat ut här ur förordet är i vår tid verkar det som om vi alla behöver återhämtning mer än någonsin. Vi pratar om det hela tiden, men nästan ingen ägnar sig åt det mer än någon dag här och där. Som Catherine May skriver, att ägna sig åt det, de här djupt omoderna sysslorna, sakta ner, låta friden ta mer plats, få tillräckligt med sömn, vila, är ett radikalt ställningstagande, men helt nödvändigt. Det skriver du om, om boken mm. som jag tycker är så vackert. Och sen skriver du också, du jobbar med att förstå vad det innebär att vara enka. Mm. Det där drabbade mig så starkt, bara mm. de där orden mm. när jag läste dem. Mm. Vad, vad innebär att vara enka, att plötsligt hamna i och ställas i det? Det är ju ett sånt konstigt laddat ord. Alltså man ser mm. framför sig någon svartklädd kvinna med sorgeflor och förstås lite äldre än vad jag är. Jag är 52 att man ska passa in i någon sån där mall då för vad det är. Och inom vissa kulturer och religioner så finns det ju mer tydligt uppsatta regler för sorgarbete. Mm. Det har ju inte vi då liksom. Nej, och vi, vi lever ju också inte nära döden i vårt Nej. samhälle. Utan vi skjuter ju undan det, vi pratar ju knappt om det. Ja men precis, mm. så att det blir väldigt, väldigt laddat. Jag har inte kommit fram tror jag till hela svaret på vad det innebär att vara enkel men det jag har kommit fram till bland annat genom att läsa och översätta den här boken eh, ja, och läsa andra böcker också och, mm. och tänka det är att jag behöver mer tid att sakta ner. Ja. Jag behöver min egen övervintring fast den kommer nog inträffa mer framåt vårkanten mm. <laughs> när, när eh, snön har smält och det är ju just det här svåra att ge oss själva tid. Ja, men det känns ja. som att det där har ju då lett till att du idag tar hand om dig och, och vaktar om din tid på ett annat mm. sätt. Mm. Och du blir också berättigad till det på ett annat sätt. Det är väldigt sant. Folk, ja. Många har förståelse, eller alla har förståelse. Mm. Jag har mött, fått så mycket kärlek och så mycket eh, medkänsla från... Alltså, de som jag inte känner överhuvudtaget mm. och från nära och kära också såklart. Så det, det är vi ju bra på i vårt mm. samhälle att uttrycka vårt deltagande. Det, det är jätte, jättefint. Man kan inte fly från sin själ, man kan inte fly från sorgen. Liksom. Mm. Det, det finns ju för sig de som flyr från en sorg ett halvt liv men den kommer komma i fattig. Mm. Eh, tror jag de flesta terapeuter är, är eniga om. Så att jag bestämde mig då för att jag inte skulle tacka ja till några nya uppdrag. Jag jobbar ju bland annat som, som bokförläggare och har förmånen att få jobba med massa fina författare bland annat med dig. Mm. Så det, det är liksom väldigt svårt att, att tacka nej såklart när det mm. kommer roliga, roliga ja, möjligheter. Det. När man har någon form ja. av frilansjobb ja. så är det väldigt svårt Precis. att tacka nej. För man vet inte, kommer den här frågan komma till hösten ja, igen? Ja, exakt. Eller, ja. Och coronatiden ja. gjorde ju också lite grann att Kommer det att dyka upp så mycket mer jobb nu? Ja. Det kanske är bäst att jag passar på. Precis, och jobbar och jobbar. Mm. Nej, men det blev väldigt tydligt inom mig att nej, men nu måste jag bara göra det här. Mm. Så att jag har lovat mig själv det. Och nu börjar matematiken ordna upp sig här. Så nu, mm. nu framåt våren så kommer jag inte ha lika många uppdrag som jag har under hösten. Nej. Och då måste det bli mer tid över till att reflektera, ja. sörja, skriva. Mm. Ja, skriva ska du verkligen göra. Jag, jag ska läsa ett litet stycke till som bara ger en bild av vad det här med övervintring kan handla om och det du har varit och är i. Boken talade till mig från första sidan. Hela min kropp ville vila i mörkret, krypa upp i sängen bredvid min älskade och gå i ide. 
Jag ville gå i Ide för att sedan vakna på riktigt när våren kom och då skulle allt vara bra igen. Solens strålar skulle leta sig in genom gardinerna och vi skulle ha den där härliga lördagsledigheten, känslan i kroppen, utvilad och förväntansfulla. Ingen skulle vara sjuk. Jag ville utforska tomrummet som uppstår, ensamheten som jag fruktar, egentiden som jag längtat efter tidigare men som nu inte är lika lockande. Jag vet att jag måste gå rakt igenom mörkret, steg för steg, tills jag kommer ut på andra sidan. Mm. Jag har plockat ihop några meningar som, jag, som berörde mig ja, väldigt. Ja, vad fint. Ja, ditt förord är så fantastiskt så att jag, ja, jag hoppas att jag du... Jag blir jätteglad när du säger det, det är... Mm. Det... Jag refererade till när det var att jag ville krypa upp bredvid min älskade alltså Anders. Det var ju då vinter. Det var precis när jag då hade bestämt mig för att den här boken vill jag, vill jag ge ut. Den vill jag ja, ge ut på mitt förlag. Mm. Men sen så gick jag tillbaka till den känslan då. När jag skrev förordet. Och då var det oktober mm. eh, när jag skrev det. Och då fanns han ju inte längre. Han dog ju då efter tre års kamp mot cancern. Så det är den sjukdomen som jag har brottats med. Och det finns mm. ju så många som brottas med eller vi brottats med, det finns ju så många som har det. I mm. nästan varenda en har ju någon som har blivit sjuk i cancer i sin familj eller i sin närhet. Och... Ni hade ju då levt ihop i er i 26 år. Mm. Ja. Mm. Och vi var kompisar tre år innan vi blev tillsammans. Mm. Så att vi har, ja, känt ni har varann... varit en del av ditt liv i 30 år. Ja. Mm. Ja. Det är svårt att föreställa sig vad det, vad det skulle innebära. Och först gå igenom den här sjukdomen tillsammans. Jag vet ju att ni gjorde väldigt mycket tillsammans de där åren. Ni såg till att leva väldigt mycket. Så mycket det bara gick. Mm. Eftersom Anders ville ju det också. Mm. Han ville liksom inte att det, sjukdomen skulle ta för mycket plats. Nej eller? men precis. Mm. Nej, han var väldigt tydlig med det och sa det till mig och, och våra två killar att ja, han ville att vi skulle fortsätta att jobba och leva och mm. göra allt det vi ville göra och han ville ha det så vanligt, så mycket vardag som det bara, som det bara går mm. på slutet blev det ju svårt för då var det ju inte, eller då blev det väldigt tydligt att det inte var så vanligt för han hade så himla ont men mm. innan dess så lyckades han bita ihop på ett sätt som var ja, helt makalöst så att, ja. Jag, jag kan ju inte alls identifiera mig med vad du har gått igenom, men någonstans så kan jag bara tänka mig att det, det kommer ju verkligen att ta sin tid att bearbeta mm. de här olika faserna av sorgen. Mm. För det har ju varit en, en, olika sorgbesked, liksom mm. att han var sjuk, att leva med sjukdomen, att förlora honom, mm. att sakta men säkert försöka hitta tillbaka. Mm. Så att det, det är väl många olika eh, saker som ska bearbetas där, men hur har du så här långt tycker du bearbetat den här sorgen? Vad, vad är det som har hjälpt dig? Det som hjälper är väl att ta det lite lugnare de dagarna jag, jag kan. Alltså försöka få mer luft och, så att jag liksom kan göra saker lite långsammare. Mm, ja. mm. Och att jag kan vara snäll mot mig själv och säga, okej okay, nu var jag inte lika effektiv idag som jag brukar vara. Men det kommer ordna sig. Det mm. blir bra. Liksom. Mm. Så att den sorgen sipprar ju in lite varstans. Och de här olika faserna har jag inte fördjupat mig ännu men en av dem är ju förnekelse och sen är det förhandling tror jag att man på något vis vill liksom förhandla om att när det här ja det har ju lite med förnekelse också att göra mm, att det, mm. och sen kommer man så småningom till acceptans och dit har jag ju inte kommit men jag kanske börjar liksom se det ordet lite mer mm. klart jag springer inte ifrån det liksom Nej. utan intellektuellt börjar jag väl förstå att det är på riktigt, det har liksom gått Drygt sju månader nu när mm. vi sitter här, du och jag. Så att, mm. ja, det, men det är inte så mycket tid. Nej, sju månader är ju ingenting. Nej, nej. så att det, det sägs ju att, att det tar ett år liksom att komma liksom vidare någonstans, det här sorgeåret. Mm. Då. Och man går igenom så här jul, födelsedagar och mm. den typen mm. av olika fasta punkter i kalendern. Mm. Men mitt fokus är ju hela tiden och har ju varit att liksom mina barn, våra två söner, ska må så bra som möjligt. Och då mm. sätter man ju sig själv lite i baksätet. Liksom. Mm. Så får det ja, ordna sig. Liksom. Mm. Kära Karina. Ja. Ja. <laughs> Men sen jobbar jag. Alltså jag har ju ja, så, du har ju ändå jobbat jag ganska får, mycket. Jag har valt att jobba mycket därför att jag får energi av det. Och, mm. och för att jag också hade många uppdrag som var igång. Och jag tycker mm. inte om att hoppa av saker. Då blir jag bara 
Det blir dränerande för mig. Och så jobbar jag med så många kloka, smarta människor som har gett mig väldigt mycket energi och, och, och förståelse hela vägen. Så mm. det, det gäller väl precis som du har gjort att du hittar den här balansen mellan då att, att få möta människor och få göra jobb som du känner ändå på något sätt hjälper till att läka mm. och vila, mm. återhämta dig och vila. Att du hittar den där balansen och det verkar du ju ändå vara väldigt bra på. Men, men sen har det blivit som att jag har attraherat liksom att få jobba med böcker som har hjälpt mig. Alltså mm. som din bok, som mm. in i själen. Den hjälpte mig ju absolut när jag eh, läste manus och skulle ge feedback på, på ja. manus. Det var ju i somras när det var väldigt, väldigt... Nytt och skört. Ja, och du, jag, är, jag är helt fascinerad. Och du kom att du... ut och hälsade på mig på landet. Och mm. vi, vi satt där och gick igenom lite. Och den gav mig jättemycket stöd och mm. hjälp. Din bok. Och den här boken då. Mm. Wintering, mm. övervintring. Den har ju också hjälpt dig väldigt mycket. Mm. Vilket jag förstår. Absolut. Vikten av att tillåta sig återhämtning. Och att följa flödet av årstiderna. Mm. Ska vi bjuda in Catherine May och fråga henne lite runt den här boken. Ja, men vi gör det. Hur, hur ja. den uppkom, ja. hur det kom så att hon skrev den och vad den har betytt för henne. Mm, vi gör det. Det gör vi. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So hi Catherine and very welcome to this soulful podcast so in i själen it's uh, if i translate it it's like so into the spirit so into the soul oh wow the name what a of lovely this title beautiful <laughs> so where are you right now in the world I am in Whitstable in southeast England. Uh, I live by the sea. Unfortunately, I don't have a sea view, but I'm about five minutes walk away. So, um, yeah, I need a swim, actually. I haven't had a swim yet this week, so I need to get some of those planned in. <laughs> you swim? What's the temp- temperature? When I swam last week, it was five degrees. So Ooh. feeling pretty chilly there now, yeah. We've got yeah, a very shallow sea. And you swim sea. in that. It's not just a dip. You take a swim. I do take a swim, probably like 10 minutes, I suppose, something like that. Yeah, ah. yeah. I'm not one of the people that puts my head under, though. I'm not so keen on that. I get brain freeze. <laughs> <laughs> But I do love to go in at this time of year. It's the best time. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. Pretty refreshing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you could say that, yeah. <laughs> So you take long walks uh, by the sea also because you write about that in your in your book mm. that you enjoy the long walks by the by the sea definitely to, to yeah. see the nature's shift Yeah I mean we we live in quite a built up area of the coast um we're right mm. in the mouth of the Thames estuary So what we get are some lovely wading birds. Particularly this time of year, you really notice them coming in. So mm. I was walking along there the other day and I could hear the curlews calling. It's just, it's different every time you walk along. And I, I think it's incredibly mm. soothing. I try and see the sea every day. That's my rule. Got to go and see yeah. it every day. I do too, actually. Walk by the sea every, every ah, day. Nice. 
I have my morning walk for an hour. Is it the same for you that you get in contact with nature like every day? Yeah, I do my best. I mean, I think it's so easy. And I, I think the pandemic has made this worse, actually. But it's so easy to just sit down at your desk and stare at a screen and then get up again at the end of the day. And that's the day done. And I think you mm, have to be really... Yeah, it is. And, and you feel bad after that. So mm. I try and be really conscious of getting up, walking, just breathing the air. I mean, you notice so much difference every day in the way the air smells and the temperature and all of those things. And it I think people think they have to live in a particularly beautiful place to do that. And I, I don't think that's true. I think you can do it anywhere. And it's just the yeah. act of moving your body and noticing how the world is changing around you. Yeah, exactly. Even if you're in a city, because mm. not everyone is living close to the nature. Maybe they have a park or something, but, but yeah. even in the city, you can get out and just, oh, yeah. you know, watch and look and hear and city smell. City walks are fantastic. I love walking yeah. in cities. There's so much to see and there's always people doing really interesting things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how did you come to write this book, Wintering? The the idea came to me all in one go, really, uh, when I was talking to a friend who was just going through a really hard time. And I just halfway through the conversation realised that I had a perspective on this that she didn't. You know, she was deep in that those doldrums, that real dip at the bottom of a wintering, and she didn't think she could see a way out again. And I could see the shape of it. You know, I could see what she was in, and I could also see that she was going through a very necessary period of transformation, really. The last phase of her life had come to an end and she was changing. And I, mm. I sort of blurted out, well, you're just wintering at the moment. It's okay. And then I had to go and write that down because it just suddenly clicked into place for me, this so, perspective. So oh, it suddenly clicked. Yeah. You just, you just uh, had the word wintering and then just you suddenly un- realised what it, was, what it meant. Yeah, well, I'm a big Sylvia Plath fan, so I think I'd already had uh. the word in my head from her poem, Wintering. Uh. And I, yeah, I'd always admired that word, actually. I'd particularly liked it, even though I'm not that fond of the poem. I find it a really tangled poem. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it was just this joining of things together that sometimes you, you see really far down the road straight away, don't you? You can see like a straight line ahead of you. And I I went down and, and wrote what became the proposal for the book um, just that mm. evening. It was just it was just all there all of a sudden. And then I had to ring her the next day and go, oh, you know what we were talking about yesterday? Do you mind if I... <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean to wintering? So wintering is a period in life when we feel cast out in the cold. So it's those times that we'll all understand when it feels like everyday life is carrying on without you and you're left almost behind a sheet of ice, feeling like you can't Mm. make progress or move on. And it's that feeling of stuckness and stasis that we so often deny or don't talk about or try to cover up because we're embarrassed by it. And it even Mm. comes, you know, with things like grief, which really, when we think about it, we know takes a long time. And yet there's pressure to move on really quickly, or at least not to show it out, you know, outwardly to all these people Mm. who don't really want you to drag them down. Um, And it's certainly true. And we have serious illness, mental illness, going through divorces. I mean, even changing our job. And I found early motherhood a very wintry time, actually. I felt very much like I couldn't get a grip on my what I felt like was my normal life, you know. And it took me a long time to make the changes I needed to make to mm. come back to feeling myself again. And yeah, they're all wintering periods. So we we know them, but we might have all wintered in a different way. And we, yeah, we try to run from them and avoid them. Mm. We spend a lot of time flinching away from them and thinking we can speed them up or thinking we can kind of jolly ourselves along or kickstart ourselves again. And actually, I don't think that's true. No. So the book is is about to embrace those moments and take care of ourselves extra. And can the wintering be also during summer? Yes. Is it? (laughs) You can winter in any season, definitely. And I I think that can be harder, actually, in lots of ways. I mean, I think there is a sort of... Yeah, if you're in this bad mood, if you're sad, 
And in sorrow, it's like you hate the sun, sunny yes. weather, and everyone's supposed to be happy, and you're not. <laughs> you're in a wintering mode. It's really hard when everyone's in like holiday mood, and you're kind of feeling like you don't really want to leave the house. That that can be incredibly tough. I think, at least mm. in actual winter, you have an excuse for staying mm. indoors a bit more. It's less exposing,、mm. I think. Yeah. So, do you think that most people have lost their contact with nature and soul? That we've lost it some somewhere in this modern society. Yes, I think. I think it's become a hobby, nature. You know, something that isn't part of everyday life, and it's almost like a special interest that some people have. Whereas, if you go back just a couple of generations, there would have been this deep connection with not necessarily like big nature. You know, it doesn't have to be about mountains or going off trekking for months on an end, but more about the way the seasons operate, the way that. Every the plants that come up throughout the year, the animals、mm. that are all around us, we'd have had that kind of connection, and we'd have been able to name them, and we'd have known the patterns really intuitively. And I, I mean, certainly, I feel like I was not brought up with that connection. I know some people of my generation were, but I don't think it's common. And I think there's a lot of us going back and relearning that very deliberately. And it's it's not easy. You have to keep reminding yourself of what、mm. nature's up to in a way that our ancestors wouldn't have had to do so consciously because what they did was so bound up with the natural world.、Mm. And and we've we've escaped that. How has it been for you to learn this to explore yourself in the nature? It's done me the world of good. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I used to say, I mean, really, until a decade ago, I'd have told you I'm not very outdoorsy. I like being indoors. Thank you very much.、Um, and that really changed when I wrote my previous book, The Electricity of Every Living Thing,、uh, where I undertook to walk the southwest coast path in the UK. And that was a real battle for me. Actually, I, I walked it through winter. I got very wet. I nearly got blown off a few, few cliffs along the way. It was really hard.、Um, yeah, it was. Not, that probably makes it sound more intrepid than it actually was. <laughs> Adventurous. Is that almost like a pilgrimage? You would say. I mean, what、yeah. kind of walk is it? It was. It was a walker's process, really. I mean, I, I've. I've a great believer in. You know, walks being a thought process that you inhabit、yes. rather than a physical act, and you know, in the time I did that, I changed so much. And and I, the main thing it did for me, other than got me a lot fitter, was it opened up this kind of contemplative space that I hadn't、yeah. had before. Just hours and hours of solitude, and your body getting tired while your mind is still really active.、Mm. And yeah, I mean, where I, was this? This was in so、uh, the southwest coast path runs from North Devon at the at sort of the southwest tip right around the、uh, how far is it? It's six hundred and thirty miles, and I, at full disclosure,、wow. I didn't walk all of them in the end because actually、mm. part of the process for me was realizing when I needed to come home again. I really I needed、mm. to find that craving for for home and family that I'd lost really. Um, mm. But yeah, that changed me, and it. And since then, I've craved being outdoors so much, all the time, and I, I never had that before. I think it's good to know that、yeah. you can get it late in life, actually. Yeah, I, I did the pilgrim walk to Santiago de Compostela in <gasps> oh, northern Spain. Did you? Oh, this wow! This was two thousand four, and I was doing it on my own, so I can relate to what you're talking about. But I had the experience that while doing it, I was in the process all the time, and it was. Just after I came home, that I realized how much it had actually changed me.、They、Could you feel the same? Definitely, and the changes—they're discreet and subtle. But、mm-hmm. then you get these big changes that come all at once. And for me, it led to my autism diagnosis. You know, I really、mm. had this revelation of something that I did not know before I set out on the walk, which kind of fell into place for me. During the process, so the changes are huge, but but also it's stuff that you can't put your finger on as well. It's like it's like therapy, you know. You reconcile all these different parts of yourself together because you can't avoid them, you can't escape them. You、yeah. have to tackle all of these things that pop up in your head, and 
that was huge for me. Really, really huge. Mm. I'd love to do it again. <laughs> yeah, you should. You should. And and uh, that's what you're sharing in, in your book. Some of the comments around your book, Wintering, is that it's like it's like some kind of a therapy reading it. Yes. And I think Karina uh, would agree. Uh, <laughs> so what has the response been from your readers? It's been really extraordinary. I was not expecting the sheer amount of love for it and connection with the book but also the way that every reader thinks it's about something different like every reader thinks it's a different story about them so mm. people who are depressed think it's a book about depression and people who've got long-term illness think it's a book about that and people who are grieving think it's about grief and it really taught me that you lose control of a book. A book isn't yours once it goes out yeah, into the world. A, it adapts to the reader. Yeah, readers. It belongs yeah. to the readers, actually. I mean, yeah. they rewrite it every single time. And that, I mean, it took my breath away, really. And it's still incredible now. It seems to, in the UK, it's been a very slow success. Like in the US, it, it was kind of a hit straight away. In the UK... It's been like a word of mouth success. And er that means that everybody feels like they discovered it personally themselves, which is part of that ownership. <laughs> and I, I love that the warmth that you get is because people think they found it in a bookshop. And look at this book I found, you know, <laughs> I adore that. That's just lovely. <laughs> so what does it tell you, the success of the book, about the time we're in now? Uh, well, what does it tell us about the time we're in? Well, do you know what? I think we would always have needed this book. I mean, when you think about it, I wrote it before the pandemic. And I, I wrote it because I thought that there was this continuous need that's always been there for us to talk about this stuff. Mm. But of course, I mean, three weeks after it was released in the UK, the pandemic arrived for us. And so since then, everybody's talked about it as a, a book that sort of meets the pandemic. But But what's interesting is that it uncovers, it unearths so much suffering that's going on in a really hidden way that we couldn't name before. And mm. I think we've always needed to have a word that we could go out and say, this is what's happening to me right now. You know, it's a bit like putting an answer phone message on, like services suspended for a while, friends, but mm. I'll be back, but you need to give me some time. Mm. So I think on one hand, yes, it does meet this very particular time, when we feel so isolated and loneliness is such a big thing, even though we're always switched on. But also, I think that speaks to a background rumbling that's that's been there a long, long time. Mm. And uh, to find some some light in the dark. You you write about that in the book. It's spiritual in that <laughs> a way. A very Swedish example of light in the dark, yes. actually. <laughs> actually, it is. Um, <laughs> I will find it here. You write about uh, the Saint Lucia as well. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I wrote a novel about her. Did you? Yeah. It, yeah it's, it's sadly it's not in English, so you can't read it. But oh. it's a novel about her life. <laughs> so I was Such so happy to read about story. that. Yeah. Yeah. I was so happy to read about her in your in your book. It was so beautiful. And you write also about the solstice and mm. when the year turns and all the traditions around that that we've lost a little bit, I guess. Yeah. We've. Again, it's part of that innate connection to the seasons. And I, it didn't mm. occur to me until very recently that the solstice isn't actually about the longest night and the shortest day. It's about, because actually we didn't used to have clock time. So that never, that was never quite the thing. We knew days got longer and shorter, but we couldn't measure them exactly. But the solstice is actually the time of year when the sun stays still in the sky. It reaches its furthest southerly point and it stops there for about eight days. And a lot of our traditions and folklore around the solstice are about kind of restarting the sun again, like encouraging it to come back towards its summer position. <laughs> um, and I, I love that idea. I love that idea that we're looking at a kind of stoppage there at midwinter, mm. that there's this time when 
it's like the eye of the storm almost. Um, and I think we're beginning to return to those traditions. I mean, I, I know loads of people have told me this year that they've had a solstice bonfire, for example. Oh, yeah, um, I think it's important to have those mm, traditions and some ceremonies of your own. They can be very private as well. Definitely. Mm. They don't have to have ready-made meanings applied to them either necessarily. You know, you don't have to bring a big liturgy to the whole thing. No. It can literally be, I'm going to mark this moment in time. Like that's all the desire you need, really. Mm. Mm. I used to say that in the darkness you can find gifts to bring with you into the light. Oh, yes. Yeah, And yeah. I, I used to say that to people because we forget sometimes that the darkness can also hold some gifts of mm. of learning of lessons that we can bring with us into the back into the light so that's why it's so beautiful with this wintering where you really take care of yourself and not mm. run away from from it i mean i i'm really interested in the role of darkness in our in our culture because i think it's another thing that we don't spend much time noticing anymore. You know, we've pushed darkness back really far. And darkness is really important because it's a it's a kind of liminal space. It's a time when there's this kind of merging of your dream world and the real world. You know, you're not quite sure of what reality is in the darkness. Mm. And we fear that a lot more, but we once would have been very used to dark corners in the house and to the ideas that brought to us and the way that that invited in a really fluid kind of relationship with the dark sides of our own experience and the, and mm. you know, those things that we, we like to push back in the modern world too. So I, yeah, I mean, I get told off in my house for walking about in the gloom because I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very poetic book. I love the the way you write and and the way that Karina uh, uh, has translated it. She's she's done a great job in that. I must say. Oh, I, I you, always you regret should that know. I can't read. Know. I know. I, I need people to check it. So that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It would, I I kind of yearn to be able to understand the language that it's been translated into. It's such mm. a hard thing to be held at a distance like that. I would just love to. Uh, perhaps I need to learn Swedish. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> It'd take me a few years so, to be able to read a book, though. I think. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> What are your thoughts uh, uh, about the soul? The soul. I kind of work within a, a sort of quite a Buddhist understanding of, of that word, really. You know, I the way my belief system works is that there is something eternal in us, but it's connected to all other souls, beings, essences too. Yeah, I do think there is an eternal part of all of us. And I, I don't think that's a moral thing. I think it's contact actually with the rest of the world interestingly my new book has been a lot about this so i've been thinking about this really hard wow <laughs> been working really hard on this idea and you um, have a title yeah it's called enchantment ah yeah. i'm looking forward you have to translate that's that one a as long well, time you know. ahead yeah <laughs> when is <laughs> it coming <laughs> well it's i know it's coming out in the u.s in 2023 in the uk so there's a okay there's a year away yet but you, these things mm. happen so far in advance but yeah i've been i've been thinking a lot about how people like me who don't exist within a, a sort of organized religion and never have and and couldn't really can come to have a spiritual understanding of the world all the same and i is I that think important you think like having contact with nature and having contact with your soul how how important it is that I think it's all one and the same, honestly. I, I think the mm. more time you spend in nature and the more time you spend in contemplation, the more that idea doesn't seem separate to you. It just seems intrinsic to human life. You you get a sense of the fluidity that the world resides in, really. I think it's vital and I think... Mm. It's something that I definitely grew up thinking that I had to push away in order to be very rational and modern and and to believe in science, you know, that I couldn't believe in anything else other than what I could directly observe with my eyes and show to other people. And as I've got older, I've realized that that's not what I actually want. I want to be able to have experiences that are really subjective and which really... Mm 
to me speak to our humanity like we like our full ability of perception as a human being is to have those quite odd ideas about the world that we can't prove or observe too and i i think i felt less without them definitely mm. and how how has that changed you that shift <sighs> it's hard to pinpoint but i think it's made me more I don't know, it's comforting, actually. But it also opens up permission for me to th- to think and be in a different way and to to feel that connectedness, that connectedness with the sea, you know, and the birds that are flying mm-hmm. around the sea and the, the sort of sense of continuity between myself and that world that I'm inhabiting. I never felt that until I was older and I'm really glad to have come to it in my middle age and to have found mm-hmm. it myself I, that's really important to me i think if you don't let your thinking develop across your lifetime if you don't leave yourself open to those wonderful things out there then you've kind of stood still for too too long um and i the world does keep presenting new experiences to us and i i'm increasingly cracked open to to receive that Yeah. What do you think the consequences are if you if you're not open up to get in contact inwards and and to the nature? I mean it's different for everybody and I'm sure it wouldn't affect everyone negatively, but I do think that when the huge challenges in life come and and you know they're going to come more and more as we age. You know, this is mm. a one-way process. Nobody comes out of this winning you know and surviving everybody else like the the suffering will keep presenting itself to us as as we carry on through this life if you haven't got something soft that you can reach for ultimately you will harden and harden and that just makes everything much much more painful it's about dissolving your boundaries a little bit to let people really reach out to you and help you to let yourself be vulnerable to let yourself be changed by the experiences that come up to you all of those things and to allow yourself to change your mind i mm. i interviewed uh, michael pollan a couple of weeks ago for the on being podcast and he i don't know if the book has been oh you have your own podcast yes i do but yeah. this was for someone else's podcast funnily enough aha uh-huh, um, okay but i was he was talking about how psychedelics can help people to do that later in life and and i ended up having a really interesting like ayahuasca yes like ayahuasca magic ah. mushrooms um yeah. lsd all of those san things san pedro i don't know that one i that's not the, a, from the cactus oh okay yeah 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 he was talking a little mm. bit about the cactus but he was talking mm-hmm. about how uh, for him even though he seems himself as a really kind of rational scientist taking psychedelics to research the book has left him with questions that he can't answer and i thought i really respect him for being able to say that that must be really hard when you've kind of sold yourself really heavily as like a a big kind of rational voice in the world to say wow i have now got spiritual questions that and i cannot account for everything i i felt and and experienced in that time that's what i want to keep yeah. doing as i age too not necessarily it, taking loads like of drugs legal? you know is it like legal in the, in the, in the england great no, britain it's not legal at all no, no and in not, fact not here no no, no. you can uh, but i've heard about the the deep intelligence in this uh, plants yeah. there's there are growing <laughs> movements around them definitely <laughs> you've you've heard tell um <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know we uh, we actually uh, tightened the law quite recently rather than released it so we're we're going the other way away from it but there's such I have to listen to that research. one yeah yeah there's mm. brilliant research mm. on the therapeutic mm. potential of it all it's fascinating time mm. for it mm. exciting but how did your <laughs> life change when you went from being rational and searching for evidence to believe and to to believe and open up how, how did your life change in that Do you know what I would say? I would say it's it's both though. Still, like I still think I am very rational and evidence based, and so for me it was like opening a different entrance as well. Like I'm still mm-hmm. very concerned with you know making sure that we're we're understanding the world as thoroughly as possible. And so it was a little bit like 
allowing like a a Venn diagram almost to open up within me so that so that there's like also this and that was what had always concerned me I think was that having a spiritual life would like close me down almost and would stop me from being as like inquiring as I am and I and I spent as I spent more time with people from various faiths and beliefs I realized that they weren't like that at all and that that was a prejudice on my part really Mm. and so for me the way it feels and the way it changed it's changed me is that I feel like I've just expanded a little bit actually and that Mm -hmm. I am able to entertain more things and and actually that I'm less judgmental that I used to be Mm. thinking oh those people think that and I am too sensible for this I'm so glad I'm so sensible. And now I think, oh my goodness, how prim and judgmental I was at that point. And it doesn't, you know. <laughs> I think it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> I think when it's you really look, good that, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's good that no, we no, can No, it's have, good to have a look from at yourself, like more yes. more objective, actually. From the yeah. outside. Yeah. We need mm. to do way more of that. All of us, like every single one mm. of us is wrong about something. and. Yeah. It concerns me that we spend so much time trying to prove how right we are when actually I think we should spend time thinking about what we're wrong about because, you know, there is a a whole world there. (laughs) That makes me think about my grandfather because he was always when I said something was, uh, yeah, I I thought I was right. And he said, no, you're wrong. And then he went for this book uh, in a bookshelf. (laughs) And wanted to prove me all the time. So he was, I mean, like the old school. Yeah, he's not around anymore. He, he lived until he was 101, actually. Oh, well, he, uh, I mean, so it he did. he did all right by something. it then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think many people uh, can get stuck with that. Yeah, yeah. That you really need to prove. Yeah. Right that, and wrong. Yeah, prove yeah. right and wrong all the time. Mm. There's, there's and just it's just different ways always of knowing. different way to, to look at things. Hmm. That's what it's about. You need Absolutely. to be curious. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, like, you don't have to take on every belief that you come across. You can still no. be selective. But if you're rejecting everything, then you're not even being selective. You're just not thinking. So where are you in your process now? What are you doing those days? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question because um, I am accidentally writing a book that I didn't mean to write at the moment. And I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got absolutely nothing to do with it. It just uh, arrived in my head, and I thought, okay, well, I'll sit down and do this. So I'm, I'm in this uncontrollable process of writing at the moment, and I'm loving it. It's really, I love those moments of flow that feels like you're mm. receiving something rather than producing it. Um, oh, that's so wonderful because yeah. you are you are also a teacher in cre- uh, creative writing. So how can writing be transformal for us, you think? Well, I think the traditional answer to that would be about expressing yourself and, you know, getting something that's locked inside out there. But you know what? I think it's often the discipline of writing that's really transformative for people. The need to choose your words really carefully and precisely just massively deepens your understanding of the meanings you're trying to put across and structuring that information and being selective around it and thinking about all the implications of what you're writing, all of the resonances and the things that you need to stay in control of. For me, that's the transformative part of writing because it's, again, it's the bit that really invites profound contemplation and takes you into those really hard processes of thought that bring you to the interesting things rather than the bits that are like just express yourself like I I find that the the surface that's the first part and then I want to dig in much deeper and I Mm. I've really noticed that in the people that I mentor that what they need most of all is someone to challenge them gently, compassionately and say, what do you mean when you say this? Well, where's mm. the emotion here? Like, what are you holding back? And that's my favourite part about when I teach writing is taking wow. people through that pain threshold yeah. 
and into the kind of really open-hearted writing that they will come back to and go, that hurt, I was crying. It's the best thing I ever wrote. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're very good at going very deep in your language and to express the the feelings. it's beautiful. Oh, thank you. I try. It's about it's about layers, you know, it's about delving through layers and noticing when you're holding back. And I think that's mm. that would definitely be what my process is if I had to explain it, which I find it very hard to do, but it's writing and then thinking, mm, that's a bit bloodless. What what's going on there? And writing further and writing further and it's it's wow. like an Not excavation. Yeah. I'm going to think about that. You writing know, writing my next book, I'm going to think about just that, <laughs> what you said now. I mean, a famous author as well. You have written over uh, 10... 11 books. 11 yeah. books. Mm. Yes, 11. So right wow, there. that's amazing. Mm. I'm, I think but I'm, I'm, I'm eight, not so. uh, I'm, I'm not a New York Times bestseller author not as you. Yet. 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 <laughs> that's not my ambition as... <laughs> And I, I didn't think it was your either. I think it just happened no, because just you have happened. this yeah. lovely language. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nobody was more surprised than I was, trust me. I was like, yeah. no, this doesn't, I'm not this kind of writer. <laughs> yeah. And then, yet you are. <laughs> there was Well, there was a couple of weeks when I was sandwiched between Michelle Obama and Dolly Parton. And I was like, this is just the Whoa. weirdest thing that's ever happened wow. to me. <laughs> oh, wow. What a gang. <laughs> I know. The cool kids, honestly. That's who I hang with now. <laughs> well, it was lovely to to meet you, Catherine. Lovely oh, you to meet too. you and, and to you talk so to you. And uh, good luck with the writing. I'm looking forward to read that book as well. Well, so uh, it will come eventually. All the best to you and take <laughs> care by the ocean. Ah, <laughs> oh, thank you. It's been so lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah. See you later. Bye. All the best. Bye bye. Kära lyssnare, jag hoppas att ni hängde med på engelskan där, att den kändes tydlig och bra. Ibland kan det vara lite utmanande att lyssna på ett annat språk. Vissa kanske inte alls tycker det, men jag tyckte det var väldigt fint. Dels var det väldigt fint att få prata med Karina Nundstedt om, om sorg och det hon gått och går igenom just nu. Där är hon ju inte ensam naturligtvis. Många av er som lyssnar kanske kan identifiera er med just där Karina är just nu i livet. Hon har gjort en väldigt fin översättning av den här boken och den heter då Övervintring och vad det innebär någonstans och det var ju det vi pratade sen med Catherine May om som är författaren till den här boken att ta hand om sig själv ta hand om sig själv i de stunder i livet när vi faktiskt behöver det och tillåta oss att göra det ibland att stanna upp och ta hand om oss själva att ta in vår omgivning att komma ut i naturen eller att komma ut överhuvudtaget som Catherine pratar om och bara långsamt vandra runt och studera och upptäcka och känna in och vad händer i mig när jag ser just det här eller vad växer i mig i de här stunderna Och jag tror också att det kan vara väldigt bra att göra just de här sakerna. Att bara komma ut även när man känner sig på botten av någonting som är tufft och tungt och jobbigt. Att bara komma ut en liten stund och gå långsamt och bara betrakta. Det tror jag kan vara väldigt läkande för själen. Så tillåt dig att övervintra emellanåt. Även om det är mitt i sommaren. Att stanna upp och ta hand om dig själv. Det är viktigt att vi vårdar oss själva och våra själar och det är viktigt också att vi gör det så att vi kan blomma upp och ha lite vår och sommar i kroppen också och njuta av livet för att vi är här för att njuta av livet och vi är här för att ha det så bra vi bara kan. Det också. Kära lyssnare, tack för att ni har varit med på det här avsnittet. Ta hand om er. Puss och kram. Hej! Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Tack för att du har lyssnat på dagens avsnitt. Och du har väl inte missat att Så in i själens första ljudbok kan bli din via Så in i själen plus. Följ länken i avsnittsbeskrivningen så blir ljudboken din för endast 59 kronor.